HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This week on Meet and 3, we bring you a sensational episode where each story hones in on one of the four senses that accompanies taste. Many of the smells that we uh, encounter in everyday life actually exist out there in the cosmos. Food carries all these culturally specific meanings. The fact that, you know, when you see an apple, it's not just an apple, right? I was mostly interested in thinking about what knobs ASMR was pulling on, maybe, or how we could explain it from a psychological or emotional or evolutionary standpoint. Tune in to Meat and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Airway, and it is a brisk and beautiful and sunny fall afternoon right now. We're heading into some really, really good cooking weather. And I don't know about you, but a big cooking project or just everyday cooking at night, for me, it's all about the music that I'm also listening to. And that's like half the fun. So and I think those working in professional kitchens might know this as well, too. So I was really, it's so refreshing to see a book really nail a topic that you instantly know is a great idea, but you just never thought of as a book before. Like you're like, why didn't I think of that first? Um, Today's book that we're talking about is all about the intersection of food and music. And I don't mean like, you know, Italian barbershop quartet serenading you over dinner, um, like Lady in the Tram, but you know. It really explores the culture and connections between today's most well-regarded chefs and the music that fuels their work, as well as the most cutting-edge bands and musicians and the food that they can't live without, and how these two disciplines, food and music, have so much in common. Um, My guests today, over the years, uh, Darren and and Greg Bresnitz have had on their Heritage Radio Network show, Snacky Tunes, hundreds of chefs and musicians who often give live uncut performances on their show. And I can say that for a while, my show Eat Your Words was on uh, right before theirs at Heritage Radio Network when we 
actually went to the studio before COVID. Um, and, you know, sometimes I would see the likes of like Reggie Watts or somebody ridiculously cool and famous recording in the studio as I left. So um, also, if you've lived in the Brooklyn for the past several years, you might recall uh, Finger on the Pulse, which is their DJ duo. Um, they hosted, that's Darren and Greg, by the way, they hosted for several years a barbecue pop-up uh, series that featured different guest chefs each time over the uh, over the course of the whole summer in Williamsburg. And Darren also produced and directed the IFC show called Dinner with the Band, which featured a different band each episode cooking dinner with Chef Sam Mason. And that was a lot of fun. I actually worked in the kitchen production team on that one. But without further ado, we're here to celebrate and welcome on air Darren and Greg Bresnitz. Uh, co-authors and co-hosts of Snacky Tunes. Hey! Hello! Quite the intro. <laughs> Thank you for that intro. Although, yeah. it did remind me how much we have hung out and had our lives intersect when we were all living in Brooklyn together. Yeah, yes. We were, when we, that was like a hub for... It was a real activity. hub. Yeah. yeah. But also, we were mentioned in your first book about That's the studio true. BBQs. Which I felt oh, yes. like we had we had made it because we were mentioned in something published, however many 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 years ago that was. I mean, that was like an ongoing. That was just a part of the culture of, of yeah. Brooklyn nine, for nine summers. I think we did nine summers. This is throughout yeah. the 2010s, basically. Right. I mean, and that yeah. was the thread, right? For people who don't remember, Studio B was like probably one of the most iconic dance venues to open up during that time. And Justine D asked if is we would throw a food event uh, mm -hmm. on the rooftop. And we were like, oh, yeah, we can do that. So there were DJs and chefs. And that was the very, very first one. It was aptly named Studio BBQ, which was mm -hmm. probably the easiest thing to name of all times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it just kept on going. Yeah. Or you guys moved, kept it going. Yeah, we moved it to a bar. And that was just, it was pretty much every Wednesday, uh, three or four months every summer. It was great. And then it rained every Wednesday and it was always sunny on Tuesdays. And we felt that we were jinxed. So then we moved it to Tuesdays and then it started raining on Tuesdays. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, there was legit summer summer hurricane. But people during. came. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Everyone, always, every, everyone sold out. I don't think that yeah. there was a single one that didn't. I mean, it was an amazing deal, right? It's like you had like Avar Simone, Andrew WK, modular records, et cetera, DJing while you could get a plate of food from some of the biggest name chefs and a beer. I mm -hmm. think we started it with like $5. It was $5. And then we, and then we, we wrung our hands for a couple of years and then we finally raised it to $10. And then we're like, that's the most we'll ever charge. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, those, yeah. Those mornings afters were always a little bit dicey though. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So for those who, you know, weren't in the Brooklyn sphere, um, you know, or, or, you know, haven't, you know, maybe listened to your show, um, Snacky Tunes on Heritage, which has been going on for over 10 years now. Um, mm -hmm. What what were you hoping to do with this theme? Why food and music? And who is this book for? Uh, you know, this Two-part question, uh, first part first, uh, you know, we were trying to show the intersection of the creative process and that the same DIY spirit approach to music um, and just overall love and passion of creating songs and albums and things like that 
that went into that when we were growing up, really food has now gotten on that same level. And a mm -hmm. lot of the same approach to creating dishes or making restaurants or building food brands or, you know, having cult followings, whatever. It's the same love and approach from fans, from the industry to both food and music. And we just saw that there was a difference in the output, you know, one being a song and one being a dish, but the process and the result and the community pretty much just became the same. And we wanted to just show how they intersect and how every chef loves music and how every band just knows where to eat and wants a good meal when they're on the road. Cool. Did, and Greg, did you want to add anything to that or? Who's the book uh, for I mean, Greg? I mean, the, I mean, the book is actually for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, as it, as it evolved and we realized that it, it helped for first and foremost, it's for people who just like a good read. Uh, I think there are obviously there's playlists, there's recipes, there's songs in there, but there's, there's essays, there's yeah. tons of essays, tons of narratives and people go really deep. Um, mm -hmm. we did not expect it would go to that point when we were writing the proposal. I don't think that we thought it'd be like a lot more fun and I'm not saying that's not fun, but it is very, very serious in some areas. It's very touching. And I think it scans all the different types of human emotions. So I think it's for people who like want that. Obviously, it's for food lovers. I mean, you're going to know a number of names in this book a lot. Some of you, you won't. Uh, we discovered a, a number as well. Um, so if you want to hear them talk about essentially what is their first love. And then I think the, the one that I really like so much is like, I think that this is really for young chefs or young restaurateurs who mm -hmm. I think, as you put it, Kathy, like maybe didn't think about this before, but more and more as people are layering into their experiences, whatever their audio signature is going to be, either mm. how they use it in, in their creative process, or even just like the playlists that are in their food truck or food stall, yeah. whatever fast casual restaurant is of the Corona future. Um, and to be like, hey, this is something that like really, really amazing chefs deeply consider. And so it's maybe something that I need to consider as well. Yeah. Audio signature. That's a really cool way of putting it. And I, I like that you mentioned, Greg, that that this book really goes deep in a way that I, you know, I, I'm reading this as like, and I realized that the culmination of all your various projects is coming together in this book, but it also touches on something that I didn't really expect because it was so much about fun, right? A lot of your projects were just like mm -hmm. super cool, you know, you know, pair up a awesome band with some really ridiculously awesome food and just have a great time. But um, like, um, I love this introduction by Jeff Gordonier, Gordonier, um, journalist, Gordonier, sorry. <laughs> he wrote, yeah. I mean, can you think of anything more, can you think of any more reliable indicators of identity and aspiration mm -hmm. of intellectual curiosity and emotional openness? then their choices in food and music. And I'm like, gosh, yeah. It's it's interesting. I don't know if this book could be written 10 years from now with um, young, young people who become chefs. One of the striking things in this book is that like a lot of people had a disc man or a, a Walkman and only had a handful of records that they identified with. They didn't have, you know, every genre at their fingertip Spotify that people have now. So people were really, uh, you know, their identity on what they wore, where they went, you know, what they listened to, what they ate 
was so much more of a, a statement and wasn't as global, which I think is both good and bad, depending on how you look at it. So the idea of identity and music shaping your identity came up time and time again in this. You know, we have people talk about, you know, two records that they had that they just wore out on their Walkman. Or, you mm-hmm. know, their father brought them back, you know, a CD that they played ad nauseum. And it also spoke to the way in which that we grew up. Um, and I'm going to quote Darren from other interviews, but, you know, he talks, you know, he says, you know, you go out to the city and you just have this one CD that you play for eight hours straight, which is just not the case anymore. And it just mm. becomes in your blood. It just becomes part of who you are. And I think Jeff really nailed it so beautifully at that time, especially in the 80s. We're like, what you listen to and what you wait was who you are. That was it. Plain and simple. So much. I love the baby Molly seems to agree. <laughs> That's her in the background. Louise Amelia sitting in on uh, dad's interview. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so getting into like the whole overall concept of this book, it is yep. so unique because at one point and on the one hand, it's a really functional cookbook, right? By this cadre of like incredible chefs, right? So you have a different, um, recipes by guest chefs um you know like for instance there's uh by you know chef uh dominic ansel right world-renowned pastry chef there's a recipe for extra silky pumpkin pie which might come in handy this season yes and along with it his suggested playlist so he his playlist has um the dismemberment plan yeah japanese breakfast traveling Wilburys, Wilco, the Deftones, like a whole like bunch, like a whole like 12 tracks playlist to go along. Oh, I'm sorry. This is the wrong. This is somebody else's. This is Eric Brunner Yang's playlist. I was going to say, I was like, I believe that Dominique Ancel is much more like, it's a wonderful life and like a lot more um, uh, cheery, less emo punk. But look, you get to the ethos of it, right? Like, so but that speaks to the point of identity. We're like, that doesn't sound like who they are. I like, know. You're just like, wait. I was like, a total I, like, oh, I don't know if I'm eating silky, like sweet potato <laughs> pie, and then listening to dismemberment plan. But I could be. Yeah, I was person. Um, but the way that the oh, book is goodness. laid out is that every chef got um, short bio. They got a playlist with a little bit of a head note, and then they had a recipe tied to a song and then they had their narrative and so okay. the great thing and about Dominique having- Ansel has Nina Simone, Nat yeah. King Cole, Al yeah. Green, totally different. Yeah definitely that's okay. definitely some silky pumpkin vibe if you will Okay, um, yeah. for a pie and um, you know the way that we looked at it is that by essentially giving everyone the same format mm-hmm. it really leveled the playing field right and it really allowed everyone to fill in um, really the questions and the playlists and everything as they wanted. We really didn't put any guidelines on it other than you just have to complete these components. And so what we got back was something really honest and really mm-hmm. intimate. And, you know, there was no agenda outside of just having them submit their answers. And I think when you just take a lot of the guardrails off, and people just realize that you're treating it with respect because look, we had a couple of chefs very early on who outright said no. And these were chefs who were on the record about being really into music and things like that. And I think to your point, 
this is a very unexpected book because you're like, oh, okay, food and music. It's like, I eat burgers on the road when I'm in Nashville, blah, 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 and things like that. Um, mm. And it's like, no, like this, these are the two things that you have sort of dedicated your life to artistically. That mm-hmm. these are the things that define you. And we're going to give you that space, you know, in a published way, being on Faden, who's, you know, one of the most respected imprints in the world to tell your story. You know, and these are a lot of times, these are questions and chances for people who have never gotten to speak about their deep love of music or share a playlist, which by the way, chefs were way more excited to share their curated playlist than anything else in this book. Like yeah. they were very, very particular about this. Where it said, hey, the like, head notes about it too. The head notes. And it was just like, but no, we're going to give you the space to tell your story. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, I think once they really got it and once people started seeing it, they're like, oh, this is something different. This is something very unique. Mm, yeah. So- one, one point to say on Eric Bruner Yang um, that's interesting is that he talks about this almost a split in his life where he was a musician and then he dedicated his life to food and almost no one knew about anyone who met him as a chef didn't know about his musical past. So I think mm. to, to, to follow Darren's point, like it is a, t- a way for people to tell these stories of something that was arguably their first love before they became known for something else. That's so cool. I love Eric Brenner Yang's. Um, he says the recipe intri- inspiration was I'm 16 by the Dengue Fever. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, just Dengue Fever, which he says is the coolest band, one of the coolest bands in America. They incorporate classic Cambodian rock and roll sound with a contemporary all, all well paying homage to those that inspire them, much like my cooking style. And then, of course, he has a, a recipe for Cambodian crispy shrimp fritters with lime Ooh, it's and a good lime one. pepper sauce. Mm. Um, you know, it's really, I have to say, a different way to get to know your chefs as well. So last night uh, I made um, Kwame's black cow, which is these short ribs mm. that Kwame are – Chef? Uh, chef Kwame. Kwame. Uh, okay. And uh, he um, has the recipe directly inspired by the uh, Steely Dan song. And he says, you know, this is the first song I ever fell in love with. And so to understand someone's first song I ever fell in love with and then to make a dish inspired by that song is just a really amazing way to see someone that you respect culturally and food wise and as a person just in a whole new light. I love it. It also feels like a community cookbook, too, with so many uh, some with like the best chefs, you know, so many of the best chefs currently working um, around the world, too. Um, We're going to cut to a quick little commercial break and we'll talk a lot more about this amazing book right when we're back. All of us at HRN have been keeping busy despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, food podcasts from HRN provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. 
At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new show. Okay, and we're back chatting with Darren and Greg Bresnitz, authors now and also co-hosts on Heritage Radio Network. We're talking about Snacky Tunes, which I never even introduced the whole name of. It's a gorgeous book, gorgeously designed, just came out from Fade On. But it's called Snacky Tunes, Music is the Main Ingredient. And it's written by Darren Gres- uh, Darren and Greg, but also with Kong Fen. Kong. Kong. He's our third man. It's like if we had a basketball team, but we have half of that, so he's our third man. <laughs> and what was the... So who came up with this idea of the whole playlist? I mean, was this just an organic? We, uh, you know... Go on. Uh, the idea for the book... Um, was like born in Mexico City over like a, a very kind of dark period in my life, mezcal and tacos. And uh, <laughs> I really just wanted to make sure that like, you know, Snacky Tunes was doing well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was doing well and it just was like at a point where like, what can we do? We've, we have these amazing connections. We have this amazing kind of insight, but we haven't had these stories collected anywhere um, except that they kind of came like, over the years where we'd get like Brooks Headley from Superiority Burger telling us about his like punk rock days and everything. So we just thought like it would be a good time for us to see like what we could do. And so the playlists were there, the insights were there. And then it was really actually working with Faden and Emily Takudis, who was our commissioning editor to evolve the book into what you see it is now. It was like a joint collaboration. Mm-hmm. And it's such a cool like design elements to it. I mean, it's a really visual feast for any like design, you know, graphic design junkies. It's we got to awesome. give credit where credit's due. That goes to Omnivore who designed it. And originally we were going to have 50 chefs, 50 entries in the book. And then we had an idea about the stories we wanted to tell and the diversity of the book. And when you're putting together a book that is curated or compilation, you do have to have some of the big names to show mm-hmm. that, you know, the Dominique Ancels, Krenz, uh, Alex Atala, Elena Rizos. But what we really want to show is that even if there was a bunch of chefs you've never heard of from parts of the world you may be never thought of, um, that was really going to make the book that much more interesting. So we wound yeah. up uh, having 77 entries with 86 participants because there was a bunch of duos. And because mm. it was so much content, you know, um, I think the final word count somewhere like around like 120,000 words that uh, um, only allowed for a certain type of design. And mm-hmm. the great thing about Faden is that they let the content come in first and then they decide once you've delivered, what's the best way to design it. And so once we realized that it was probably going to be all text, they went to Omnivore and Omnivore just smashed it. It's just everyone's first comment is just about yeah. how well it's laid out and how well it's designed. And, you know, it's all text at the end of the day, but it doesn't feel boring. It doesn't no. feel I just like a mean. textbook. Yeah. It just feels mm-hmm. all innovative and interactive and things like that. It's 
And to your point about the international and the, you know, the broad swath of chefs that you've that you've brought in here, it's ridiculous. I mean, they're high caliber, you know, folks. It's not like, you know, you're, you're, you know, little like, you know, shack. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, you're, I mean, you're like, stumbling, you have... stumbling over it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we swung for the fences. Yeah. Look. And some said no. But look, having Faden be your backer on this opens up a lot of doors. Mm-hmm. And I think we've done the show long enough. So we and we've been in the industry long enough as as trite as that may sound. Um, so between our connections and Kong's connections and heritage connections, we have a really good um, Rolodex and network of chefs. And then we also just did some cold emails, but it's one of those things like once you get a couple of people who said yes, mm-hmm. we're like, Hey, these people said yes. And do you want to be a part of it? I mean, it speaks to all the community that you've built through your projects over the years. Um, so like, for instance, I'm looking at the, um, the page about Mei Chow, who won, uh, Asia's best female chef in 2017. Um, so just an incredible chef from Hong Kong with a little bow is her, um, is her, is her restaurant. And, um, so it's really cool. She has this, a uh, little bow and happy paradise. And, uh, and she has a Sichuan fried chicken recipe, which she says is inspired by Questlove who loved fried chicken so much. Um, she's, she writes Questlove loved fried chicken so much. At one point he even opened his own fried chicken joint. I love his style and he inspired this recipe. Well, um, what I love about Mei Chow is that her playlist really is autobiographical in that mm-hmm. once you read the narrative of her life and then you go and look at her playlist, you can see the songs laying out the different moments in her life that she references. And we thought that was something really beautiful. It's it's an it's a beautiful essay. Yeah. What was I, a what go, oh, go ahead. No, go on. Uh, what was a playlist that really surprised you? You're like, whoa, this person is like that. I didn't think you were into that. Anything I, did that happen? You know, it's like we we have actually gotten that question a lot, and I think it, it's a it it's an interesting question because I think that you want to think that like everyone is listening to like the deepest cuts and like you know just as like as deep as they go into music, they listen to like only like you know acid jazz or like atonal music. Um, <laughs> I was surprised. I was surprised by the amount of pop that showed up, but what was more surprising was how pop was used in the book. Mm. Um, kitchens are like microcosms of the world, right? They're, you have people from all over the world. You have people with different backgrounds, different language, um, very small communication, and like they're really only communicating through culinary skills and then also through music. So you'll have the commonality of pop music actually being able to unite kitchens. So when people really need to ramp things up because they're getting crushed and they're in the weeds, they're going to throw on some like really up-tempo pop music like Eminem or Beyonce or Maroon hmm. that everyone that everyone knows as opposed to different kind of ethnic backgrounds or different communities. If they like work different shifts, they're going to play their own music, but I found like, I was like, I didn't understand at first why this music was showing up because I thought it would be deeper. And then I was like, oh, this is just the common language in the same way that they all know how to cook uh, and cut and do prep and serve food. These mu- this music is another tool that's in the arsenal to get everyone to deliver. And I thought that was actually really surprising. 
Yeah, I totally see what you mean. Like sometimes you just need to put on some like, I don't know what it is, Shakira or Britney. Yeah, and, uh... Uh, yeah totally. I mean, there's this really beautiful story from Naisha Arrington when they were closing her restaurant, which, uh, you know, it was really a sad story is that, you know, someone was working the line, she was actually washing dishes, and then she went over um, to do hot pass and like Halo came on and the person who took over for dishes, he started singing it, and then someone else in the kitchen Aww. started singing it, and they all started singing it, and there were tears running down her face. Yeah. And that was just kind of the last the last night of service. And it, it can only happen really with the Beyonce stuff, right? If it's like some, you know, Aphex twin Nobody, uh, yeah, or like, you know, something like really, really unknown, it might be meaningful for one person, but not for everyone. And, and that that is really amazing. And that those stories shine through time and time again. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so much drama going on with uh, in, inside restaurants or if, if they are, you know, still around these days, it's I can't imagine. Um, and, and you share like so much history, like each each chef's really, as you mentioned, you know, pours their heart into it and t- shares what their work is. I'm it's in a great way to kind of like be introduced to to some of these work that you can, you know, maybe go to their restaurant or check out their cookbook. Cause there's mm-hmm. so many folks I've never heard of here. Yeah. Um, you know, we finished writing this book at the middle to end of March of 2020. And that was really when the pandemic hit and I would say decimated uh, the independent restaurant community. And so a lot of the stuff that we have in there is this curation of this, um, you know, this time in our lives that we all got to really enjoy. And this is really just a, a, a collected works of, of places and, and thought process and things like that of how people built restaurants, how they got to their own journey and, and hopefully captured this incredible moment in, you know, the restaurant industry. And I know that you guys have been talking on your show, having this continued really um, current conversation with so many chefs about the pandemic and how that's affecting the industry and their mm-hmm. work. What do you think? Do you think this is the end of an? Well, certainly, I don't. I don't know. I don't want to be like dramatic. Do you think that this is like the end of an era for restaurants in America? Uh, yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. I. Yeah. We really had. I mean, what we got to experience the last decade in America alone, but not just the world. I mean, in the same way where we used to travel and we'd go and DJ, we'd go to shows and we'd be different parts of the country, the world that feeling really existed in restaurants where you'd walk into a city and you'd go to this independent restaurant and you just understood exactly where you were in the world through this one restaurant and you would eat and you drink and be close tables and be that hum, that energy, you know, you, you get those like goosebumps when you walk into a restaurant and it's just gone right now. And that's not saying we won't get back. I mean, look, we were all in New York during the great recession in 2009 Mm-hmm. Um, obviously this is way different because restaurants didn't shut down in this regard, but everyone thought that fine dining or eating out was mm-hmm. gone. Um, and then we swung back, you know, in the last five years was unbelievable. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. And that's why we love restaurateurs. It's the tenacity. It's the problem yeah. solving. It's the drive. It's the creative inspiration. But I think what we experienced and what we knew is the independent restaurant community on a global scale is just changed forever. Yeah. Wow. Well, do you think that it'll come swing back like better than ever? 
like what do you what do you I, think is going to happen i think it's going to be diversified i mean to put on my business hat i think it's going to be diversified revenue streams which is like yeah. so unsexy but <laughs> i i just don't know if anyone's going to be able just to open a restaurant and, and we're also like let's just talk like new york la where like just the initial investment is so high i don't know if someone's going to be able to be like yeah i'm just going to open a restaurant <laughs> and they'll be like okay and like that's it it's like yep that's it i i think they'll have to have like a strong to go service um maybe a strong educational arm maybe um a, a prep like a prepared meal type thing like a, a you know a strong retail section and then the dining in will maybe be 30 to 40% of their sales. I just don't know if looking at looking at the models that have survived and that have been able mm-hmm. to navigate this and looking at both major cities and secondary, secondary markets, you're seeing it's the blend that's really happening. Um, you'll see a rise of ghost kitchens. You know, you might see names that are just doing delivery to go only. So we'll see new business models. But for some of the chefs that we spoke with over the time, you know, Although they're heartbroken, I think that no one would say that this was like an amazing system that absolutely worked. Yeah. Most people were yeah. always in debt. They were living week to week. I think we all read that Gabrielle Hamilton piece in the Times where like she couldn't even take a seven day vacation for mm-hmm. like, recent years because of rising food costs and everything. And she was in a better situation. And that's a famous show. I mean, that's right. true. That's that is that is she's an yeah. author, and, and a famous in a building yeah. where she has the rent. So I think that what you'll see is like. It's unfortunately most like some people are just going to like not survive this, mm-hmm. but there are restaurants that have opened during the pandemic that mm-hmm. just have new financial models and more realistic expectations. So we'll see something. Um, and I think that what we'll see is that it won't be, it'll be much more seasonal. And uh, mm-hmm. it's true. Like I think people yeah. will really love the summers, like summers is going to be true. a big show. It's going to be amazing okay. outdoor dining, et cetera. And then the winters are going to be a bit more, fallow but it won't be like having to do something 365 days a year where it might not be uh, as special which could be interesting for mm-hmm. people to look at a full calendar year versus just like one week of service mm, yeah and let's not forget that food trucks really came out of the great recession that's true that's and so true. we were going to see a new trend of whatever that is come out of this i'm, I'm excited to see it um, and, and, you know, and it, it's true that, you know, this book, it kind of reflects this very busy, very creative, very eclectic and beautiful period that, uh, we took for granted maybe, <laughs> but a little bit, it, it, a, a yeah. little bit. Um, but this is just a good reminder and a good insight for, and I hate to say it cause it's going to sound very, I don't want to say nihilistic, but you know, for some people who may never had experienced this golden era of dining yeah here is a capsule collection mm-hmm. of stories and playlists and uh creative insights that they can turn to um five years from now ten years from now like this book is is not going to age poorly i think no. if anything if people are going to be able to look at this as as a very um you know important collection of what people did during this time and right before it it's an incredible collection of of words and music that you should listen along to um and beautiful recipes i mean i could read it just like as a bedtime book it's just so i think so wonderful each essay yeah that's the approach too it's like i don't know if anyone's going to read it i mean it was organized alphabetically that was the only way that we could figure out how to how to do it 
Mm-hmm. But you can open it up and, you know, each section is four pages. So you have your playlist, you have your recipe, you have your narrative, essentially a hat trick. And then, uh, you know, all the playlists are on Spotify. So you can cook along the recipes. Um, so we've done that and where we just like open up a playlist, uh, open up a recipe and mm-hmm. cook along to it and eat to it. So there's so many ways to enjoy this. I think some people will be completists and I think some other people will take them six months to finish it. Completists? Yeah, it, wow. Yeah. Wow. I, also, if this book <laughs> migrates <laughs> out of, it'll be into people's kitchens, but it'll also be in people's living rooms, bedrooms, bathrooms, book bags. You know, it's going to wind up in a lot of different places of people's houses. And that's what we all consider a success that mm-hmm. everyone can connect to it uh, in their own way. Man. Well, thank you so much for collecting this, this wonderful collection and for doing it. And, and so well, um, it looks like that's about all the time we have for today, but you know, head over to snacky tunes. <laughs> you can tune into Darren and Greg some more each week on their show. And uh, thank you so much for spending the time today. Oh my God. And congratulations on your book. Yeah. Thank you. We'll be talking about that one on your show. <laughs> yes. I, uh, I'm very excited to dig in. She pan chicken is the time saver of the modern working parents. I'll say that hundred percent. Yep. Yep. Awesome. You get it. And hope Molly gets it too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you to Jeet, uh, Suresh Paul, our engineer today. And we'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Eat Your Words is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.